0: Verses 7 through 16. But our focus will be 11 through 16. Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16. You'll also see a bit of an outline on the back of the bulletin that may help you along the way. Hear God's word, verse 7. But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So that's our focus this morning, how Jesus takes care of his body. You like to take care of your body too, don't you? I think we all do. God made us good. He made us in his own image. And he wants us to also look after our own bodies. And we, too, want our bodies to look healthy. We want our bodies to be healthy. We want our bodies to be strong. And as a matter of fact, we also care for each limb, every leg, every arm, every hand, every foot, don't we? So that it grows, that it also is properly cared for. So if a limb on your body is injured and it's not working properly, what do we do? Well, we treat it. And maybe we need to go to the medical doctor for some extra help or some extra attention. So a broken bone in your leg, maybe you've had a broken bone before. Well, it needs to be reset, right? It needs to be reset so that it can heal. Or maybe you get a deep gash into your hand from some sharp glass and it requires stitches. Many of us have had that before as well. But you know what? It's really interesting that the Bible gives many, many pictures for the church of Jesus Christ. It's called the vineyard. I give many examples, but some examples are some pictures are the vineyard of God. Think of Isaiah 5. It's a vineyard, it's the temple of the Holy Spirit, the, body, uh, the, the church of Jesus Christ. Um, it's Christ's sheepfold, it's Christ's family, it's Christ's bride. But there's another picture that's very prevalent throughout the New Testament and that picture is the body. The Bible uses the picture of the body to describe the church. The life of the church, right? The life of the church was a circle around, was a revolve around Christ. He's the head. We are the body. Right? He's the head from whom all the members, all the relationships in the body draw their life. We draw our life from Him. That's what makes the body healthy, strong, vigorous. So in our sermon today, the first in this short series, answers, how is it that Christ, our ascended head, right? how is it that He cares for His body? Right, His body is very important to Him. He cares for it? How is it that he cares for it? How is it that he cares for it until he returns? And when he returns, wow, there's going to be a marriage feast. And that marriage feast is for his entire body, which is forever and ever and ever and ever. But until then, his body which is on earth, how does he, how does he care for it? Because we need that care in a, in a world that really doesn't care, does it? How is it that he cares for us? We're going to see three things this morning from verses 11 through 16. We're going to see that he gives the gift of shepherds. He gives the gift. We see his gift of shepherds. And then we're going to see also from verse 12, his purpose. What is his purpose for shepherds, for the leaders in the church? And finally, what is his goal? What is his goal through the shepherds in the church? So in answer to um, this question, how does Christ care for his body, we need to look first of all at uh, the gift he gives to his church, his gift of shepherds. And that's what we see in verse 11, but verse 11 can really be only properly understood if we look at it in the context of verses 7 through 10. Christ through Paul says in verse 7, that to each one of us grace was given to the measure of Christ's gift. What does that mean? he refers here not to saving grace although we need we all need the saving grace of Christ don't we but he refers to service gifts right the gifts that God saved people um, have to serve the body right It refers to the gifts of service the grace which Christ gives in which he equips each one of us to serve in his body. No, it's very clear. Scripture is very clear that every member, every member has in the body has a gift to use, a spiritual gift to use for the benefit of everyone. There's not one single member that doesn't have a gift. Every member, be a child or adult, has a gift they can use, a spiritual gift they can use for the benefit of Of the body. Where do those gifts come from? Christ. They come from Christ. And that's the whole point in verses 8 through 10. Verses 8 through 10 shows how he gave them to his church. And boy, it was a hard work for him, but he overcame. He overcame sin, death, and Satan in order to give us, to give his church his spiritual gifts. And now in verses 8 through 10, you see here the risen, ascended Jesus Christ, he gave his church, both the Holy Spirit, he's given the church both the Holy Spirit, not only the Holy Spirit, which he poured out in the church on Pentecost, but also the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit in order to edify his body. These gifts he gave to the church, his body, after raising the body to life, raising his body to life through his death and resurrection. Okay, we were once dead in our sins, but through his death death and resurrection, his body has received that new life right, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, and now he gifts it. He gives it many gifts. Wow, the church is his living, vibrant body in a decadent lifeless world. It really is. Right? A lifeless world. How does Jesus keep his body healthy and radiant? How, how does he do that? Okay. How is it that he manifests his life in this, in his unique body? How, does he, how is it that he manifests his life in our world? Well, one of the many gifts Christ has given to the church for this purpose, is the gift of shepherds. Think of a shepherd and the sheep. What does a shepherd do? Guides, leads, protects, nourishes. Never think cop. Never think police officer. They're enforcers. No, shepherds, guiding, teaching, leading, nourishing, providing. That's the the, the image that's here. Right. Look at verse eleven. The whole focus in verse eleven is on the teaching gifts. The teaching gifts, right? And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. It's all focused on the teaching gifts, right? Centered around the word of God. Now, I should say something briefly about this. Think of the apostles. Who were the apostles? They were the the 12 men that Jesus chose, uh, mainly, and the Apostle Paul as well. Um, prophets like Agabus in Acts chapter 11. You have the evangelists like Philip or Timothy. Okay, These prophets, apostles, evangelists, as listed here, they functioned, you could say, in the first generation, in the first generation of the church after Pentecost. So the first 40 years? After Pentecost? Okay, you had the apostles, prophets, and evangelists. And Christ was using them to lay the foundation for the church. If you look at Ephesians chapter 20, or sorry, chapter chapter 2, verse 20, it talks about how the apostles and prophets, okay, are the foundation of the church, right? And the foundation of the church is the word of God, okay, which is his word. And now today we have the complete Bible, so we no longer need the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists in this sense of the word. I know people still use that term, but it doesn't mean this very specific thing in Acts or in Ephesians 4, verse 11. Okay? But they were no longer necessary for the ongoing life of the church and for the generations following. Today, what has Christ given to the church since that time? Pastors and teachers. Pastors and teachers. That's what's relevant here for today. Now, the word for pastors here is literally shepherd. It's literally shepherd. And shepherds are also called teachers here. So they're one and the same thing. Pastors who are teachers. And through their teaching, okay, Christ from heaven, okay, he uses them to nurture. To protect and to guide the body. By the way, just so that, we're, that we know, the word for pastors here is also used for elders. So pastors are not just simply the minister of the church, but the leaders of the church. They're also used for elders. Acts 20, 28. Right? Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. There is the exact same word that's used for pastors here. So your elders are also your pastors. Okay? Um, also, in First Peter 5, verse 1 and 2, Peter, an apostle, talks himself as a, as a fellow elder among the elders in the churches. So it's, it's, in a certain sense, it's very broad, right? Includes the, the leaders of the church. Now, one quick question. How does Jesus want us to respond to his gift? You think about it. When we receive a gift, what do we do? We receive it with thanks. And same here. We're to receive his gift with thanks. And one way we do that, there's many ways we can do that, but one way we do that is by (coughs) praying, by praying for your pastors, for your elders. You know what? Your pastor and your elders have many shortcomings. You'll not find a perfect pastor or a perfect elder. Anyone ever see a perfect pastor or perfect elder? Jesus. He's the perfect one. But it's amazing how he has chosen imperfect men to lead, to gift his church. Right? Um, and, that's, and that's why, you know, pastors, elders, they covet the prayers of God's people. Covet in the good sense that you regularly pray for them because they need the wisdom of Christ. They need to reflect the heart of Christ. In so many ways, they don't, right? But in so many ways, they also take that responsibility very seriously to shepherd in the way that Jesus himself would shepherd. But another thing, too, to pray for is for the Spirit's ongoing, renewing work in your own life, Right? Even as pastors and elders lead and teach, pray. Pray for, Not only pray for them, pray also for the Spirit's work in your own life through their teaching, but also in the life of all your fellow members. Uh, it, makes, it makes my heart happy and joyful when I hear members here saying, yes, I pray for each and every one. And it's, just, it's, it's so encouraging to hear those things for fellow members praying for other members. Keep that up. Keep that going. Because the Holy Spirit uses our prayers also to, um, to encourage the body. Pray often for the congregation that Christ may always be the center of our worship. May always be the center of our life and fellowship. Remember though, Christ's shepherds are not higher than the members. We're members. Everyone's a member of the body of Christ. Who's the highest? Jesus. Sorry, brotherhood. All are equal. Okay? Now God gives his church with shepherds. They're not higher than the congregation. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. They're not higher. They're not above the congregation. They're not necessarily closer to God. Not at all. Not necessarily at all. They're one, as Peter would say in 1 Peter 5, one of the fellows among you. The difference is God has given gifts to the congregation. They have a greater responsibility. And that's why it's so important to pray. Yeah, they are shepherds are not here for their own sakes. Okay, they're not here For the congregation to serve them. No, that's the opposite of what Christ does. Christ did not come to be served, but to serve. That's the task of your shepherds. They are to serve the congregation for for Christ's sake. Do they do it perfectly? No. But that's why they covet your prayers. Right? This remember, they're gifts of Christ. Given to the body. Okay? Second thing. That leads us to our second point, Christ's purpose for the shepherds. Many purposes can be given. So we'll limit our our purpose here to verse 12. Why did Christ give these gifts to the church? What's the purpose? And verse 11 gives two purposes why he has given shepherds for you, right? Elders for you. The first purpose is for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. That's one purpose. But there's a greater purpose. And that is for the edifying of the body of Christ. So two purposes here. We'll look at them individually for a moment, briefly. The first purpose is to equip. What does it mean to equip? Equip means to train, prepare. That's the sense here. God's or Christ's purpose for a shepherd is is to prepare God's people to prepare you for works of service. Not to boss but to train, to equip God's people to serve and not be served, right? The whole emphasis here is as members of the congregation, not to be served, but to serve. But you know what we find? As we're serving one another, we're being served. (laughs) So that's, that's the secondary benefit. But the great benefit is that you're serving. That's how Christ intended the body to work. Right to serve and not be served. Using the spiritual gifts God has given each one for the benefit of all. Go back to verse seven again. Right, God says, "Given us these gifts in order that we may serve others with that gift of service." That 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 service um, He has given us to serve one another. No doubt, this goes very much against the grain of our sinful, selfish nature. We really need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, eh, to see that, to see our own selfish nature. And it's not the way the world works. It's simply not the way of the self-seeking world, is it? But do you know what Jesus is doing? When Jesus gives this command to equip the saints, what is Jesus doing? He wants his shepherds to, um, not only themselves, but the entire congregation, to truly learn to be Truly human again. This is what it means to become truly human. Truly human in the way that God made us. Truly human in the way that Christ restores us according to his image. You want a picture of what it means to be truly human? See what Christ is doing in his body by his spirit as they, members, serve one another. Right? Christ restores us what? so that we may be according to his likeness in true righteousness, holiness, and knowledge. Right? That's what the scriptures teach. You see, the equipping of the saints refers to all God's people. No one is exempt. Every member is called to contribute to the blessing of the whole. That's true humanity. And the world looks for it. They don't have it. There's so much truly inhumane in the world. Because we need Christ to make us truly function as as human beings, truly human beings once again. And the important lesson Jesus teaches us here is that every member is to use his or spiritual gift to serve others. That may be helping, it may be caring, it may be encouraging, it may be sharing, it may be teaching. It may be comforting, right? All the forms of that, all the expressions of that may vary from person to person. The gift of helps, the gift of encouraging. So many different ways that we can encourage one another. But yeah, we really need to pray the Holy Spirit continue to open our eyes that we see it, right? To see the way that Christ wants us to serve His body. I, always th- I think of a sports analogy here. Maybe that's not the best analogy, but in this case, you could say all are players. None are spectators. Typically in a sports game, you have a, a spectators and you have some players. But in Church of Jesus Christ, there are no spectators. All are players. All are in the game. I think of John Stott. I think it's him who calls it the ever every member ministry. Every member is called to minister. It's not just the task of pastors and elders, but it's the task of every single member. Right? God God equips you for that through his elders in the church. You know, sometimes Christians need to discover their gift first. Yeah, those are ways that elders can help. What is your gift? And then to develop that gift, and then to exercise it, use it. But one thing Christ warns us about is not to bury it and use it, not use it. We know what happened to the man that buried his talent and didn't use it. Okay? That's the the opposite there. So as an encouragement, our ability to serve flows from Christ's victory. Really, Christ's victory over the grave, over sin and death. And the amazing thing about the work of the Holy Spirit is serving then for the child of God becomes a, um, a matter of joy, not just mere duty anymore. That's, that's past. The Holy Spirit puts in a, a desire, a joy to be able to serve Christ and for his glory in this way. After all, it's not our life anymore, is it? But Christ's life is our life. This is how Christ's body differs from the world which says, my life is mine. A Christian should never say that. My life is, your life is not yours. Your life is Christ. And now, by the grace of God and by His Spirit, we're able to give our lives away. That's being truly human. To equip the saints that's the immediate purpose for Christ giving shepherds to the church. But there's a greater purpose and that is for the building up the body. Yeah, each one serves but so that the whole may continue to be built up in the faith. You know that word edify? You ever hear the word edifice? Edifice, you can say another word for edifice is building. Well, edify literally means to that's a verbal form, so it literally means to build up, to build up in the faith. We see this in connection with 1 Peter 2, verse 5. And there it becomes really clear that the pastoral work Christ gives to shepherds aims to build God's people into a towering edifice of faith, right a temple within which God loves to dwell. He delights to dwell in his congregation in the body of Christ. If you look at 1 Peter 2, verse 5, it says this. You, he's talking to the congregation here, he says, you, as living stones, are being built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Notice what members are called here? Living stones. They are the priests. We're all priests. We're all priests in God's house not just certain people are priests, but every member is a priest. And as priests, Peter says, we're called to offer our lives as spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. The method of construction Christ uses. What's the method of construction he uses? The Word of God. Teaching. Teaching. People are built up by the Word, through the preaching of the Word. That's the Holy Spirit's tool to keep the body of Christ growing, to keep the body of Christ healthy, to keep the body of Christ strong. And that's why the teaching gifts in verse 11 are so much emphasized here. Because nothing builds up the church like the truth of God's word. And the every member ministry, the every member ministry is really a practical outworking of our response of faith to God's word, right? It's so wonderful when you see how God's spirit works in such a way that our hearing is mixed with faith. When our hearing is mixed with faith, you see this even continuing to grow amongst us as a congregation, every every member ministry. The purpose then is to equip God's people for service, and the ultimate purpose is that we may Edify the body; it's for the building up of Christ's body. And finally, what's Christ's goal through His shepherds? His goal through shepherd through His shepherds, we see in verses 13 through 16. Notice how verse 13 begins: "Till we all come." Oh, we have a long ways to go. We have a selfish nature we need to struggle against, no doubt. And daily we need to confess our need for the grace of God by His Spirit to continue to overcome those selfish tendencies, inclinations in our hearts and lives. And that's why verse 13 begins with those words, till we all come, or till we all attain. (laughs) It's like Apostle Paul in Philippians 3. He says, I press on, you know, so that I may attain the goal that is set before me, heavenward. Well, that's the sense over here, too. The goal is growing in three areas. You look at verse 13, the goal is to grow in three areas. In our unity in Christ, in our knowledge of Christ, and in our maturity in Christ. So in our oneness, in our godliness, you could say, and in our maturity. Unity, godliness, and maturity. Look at those, just each of those briefly. You know, first of all, by building up the church through the truth of God's word, equipping the members in the work of service to Christ, what happens? A unity results. And we're not talking about a superficial unity. The world always talks about unity, but it's skin deep. It's so fragile, it falls apart again and again and again. That's not the kind of unity Christ is talking about here. Not a superficial unity, but a unity, as one author puts it it this way, which goes deep into the bedrock. Deep into the bedrock. Both in your commitment to the truth of God's Word, and also as we function, as we work together shoulder-to-shoulder, shoulder-to-shoulder, side-by-side with other members. That's unbreakable. And you ever wonder why the world is jealous and expresses rage toward the church? Because they can't break it. Because that unity is from above. It's not the Tower of Babel kind of unity but it's the kind of unity where Christ poured out his Holy Spirit on the church and it builds from from above. That unity is strong, it's safe, it's unbreakable. This unity springs from our union with God in Christ. And you know, that union with God in Christ expresses itself in communion, in living together in unity. The world in its rage against Christ against the church. That becomes more and more evident in our world today. But they're jealous. They're angry. They're hateful. Because it's a unity that God's people will never give up. It's the truth God's people will never give up. The truth of God's word. Right? That unity is based on God's word. That's the first thing here. Second of all, Okay, our unity, but also to grow in godliness. That's the sense here of to grow in the knowledge of Christ. Certainly, we want to know more and more about the Bible. Very, very important. We keep on reading our Bibles. But here it means more than just keeping on reading your Bibles. But as we read our Bibles, we come to know more and more uh, about Christ. But we come to know Christ more and more. That our relationship with him may deepen, may grow more and more intimate, Right? That's what it means to live in union with Christ. Right? Ephesians chapter 2 talks about our being made alive with Him, being raised with Him from the dead, being seated with Him. Where? In the heavenly places. No wonder the world can't knock the church down. The church will continue. Because we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And Christ's goal through His shepherds is that we too may continue to grow in knowing Christ more and more and more, and that shows itself in godliness. So a unity and the godliness always come together. True unity and godliness. And finally, maturity. God's, or Christ's goal through his shepherds is that we attain full maturity in him. The church properly equipped and built up will grow in maturity. That's an ongoing thing, right? A lifelong um, work of Christ by his spirit in our lives. But notice what verse 13 says, to a perfect man. Now, a perfect man here doesn't mean you become sinless. That, that comes when we're at the marriage supper of the lamb. But in the meantime, perfect here means that we grow in maturity. We become mature. Not sinless, but we become mature, that mature man. You see in verse 13 how it describes what a perfect man is? The one who attains to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. More and more and more, growing in the depth of Christ. And you notice here the Apostle Paul is not talking about individuals. Right? We tend to think about my own uh, relationship with Christ. And that deed is very, very important. Our relationship with Christ is very important. But here he's talking about one person, one man. Who's that one man? The body of Christ. Paul talks about the body of Christ as that one man, that new humanity, that new humanity, that one man, that is the body of Christ. He sees us as one person. <laughs> it's amazing. One person, that's his body, attaining to this, that is a body together, that we work together, we serve one another, so that we may grow in unity, we may grow in godliness, we may grow in maturity. No doubt, this depends, of course, on the maturing of every individual. Right? The body consists of families and individuals. But together as one new humanity, as one new creation, right? growing up in Christ. Contrast that with verse 14. The infant person, or the immature behavior in verse 14. Paul says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Maybe you meet people, we find out in ourselves sometimes, I think. We feel like we're blown here and there. Ah, this person's right. Now he's right too. Ah, he's right too. Well, now everybody can be right, right. And we're trying to find, where, where do I stand? Where, 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 where do I fit in? What do I what is it that I really believe? Blowing here and there. Right? The unstable are never sure what to believe because everyone sounds right. But you know, the whole point of growing in Christ, in unity, and knowledge and godliness, that is, in maturity, is that we may know this is where we stand. This is our conviction. This is what the word of God says and the world may do this and this and this, but here I stand, and I can do no other. This is what the Word of God teaches. You know, the confusing effect of false teachers is that people can, we can so easily be blown around, blown here and there, kind of like a piece of wood. You never see a piece of wood in the waves, tossed back and forth, not going anywhere, but always being driven back and forth. That's the sense of what false teachers do, right? They, they're not there to, to lead and guide and, and um, direct, but they're there often as very slick. They're often very slick. They're very cunning, as Paul says, very crafty. And they want you to get to doubt God's word, and their whole aim is to lead people astray. But the mature Paul says, stand firm in the biblical teaching. Stand firm on God's word. Right? Think of the foundation in Matthew chapter 7, the rock, or Ephesians 2.20, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ himself is a cornerstone. And Paul is very clear in verse 15. They speak the truth lovingly. The sense here is that we live out the truth with our lives. Right? He's not just speaking, not just speaking the truth in love. But our lives themselves show that we belong to the truth. In other words, not devouring one another. That's one example of it. And the mature, what do they do? They encourage, build others up. They don't tear them, they don't tear others down and raise themselves up. That's immature, Paul says. To tear others down in order to raise yourself up, that's immature. See verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things into him who is the head, Christ. This is Christ's goal through the shepherds. Note, it is into Christ that the head, the head, it's into Christ the head that the body grows up. I think of this illustration that comes to mind. You ever notice when a baby is born? At least that's my experience. I but you get the sense that sometimes the head is really big. and the body seems kind of small, right? It seems to be disproportionate to the rest of the body. Well, in the same way, you know, as a baby develops, the body soon grows up into proportion with the head, <laughs> right? You say, okay, it looks, it looks very mature now. Well, that's the sense here, right? That we grow in proportion with the head, who is Christ. Christians grow into Christ, the head, and from Christ... Christians grow up when each part is working properly, serving one another, doing its share. It's then that the body receives the support that it needs. More than that, it becomes healthy, vigorous, a witnessing body. It catches the attention of the world. Verse 16 reminds us, from which, or from whom the whole body, joined and knit together, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So, how does Christ care for his body? <laughs> he cares for his body by gifting the church with his shepherds, with leaders, with elders. And the purpose is that we may all be equipped, ready to serve one another for the building up of the body. And when that happens, we continue to grow in unity, in godliness, and in maturity. Last couple thoughts. Cherish. Cherish the body of Christ. You will find nothing like it in all the earth. The body of Christ alone will live forever and ever and ever. All other institutions, all other bodies are temporary. Right? They don't, they, they pass away. But the church of Jesus Christ, Right? The unique thing about the body of Christ, it's it's like this from above, from Christ. It will never die. It's safe, it's secure, and will always stand. There is no community like it in the world. Calvin comments this. He says, on this passage, he comments, If we want to be considered members of Christ, let no man live for himself. Or let no man or woman or child live for him or herself. But let us all be whatever we are for the benefit of his body. His glory will always be our joy. We want joy? Seek him. Seek Christ. And that joy is there. That's what the world can't stand. They want us to be afraid like them second thing is a healthy, radiant body of Christ is a communal witness. It's one, a one body witness to its neighborhood. Christ's love manifested in his body of believers may draw jealousy and rage from an angry world, but it's also often very winsome. Winsome. You're Christ's light set on a hill. Yes, we live in a world filled with hatred and fear, but you know, there's also in the world A thirst. A thirst of sinners. Thirsting for forgiveness. Thirsting for a place where they can truly belong. And that's one of the missional impacts of a church that grows up in Christ. Christ provides the meaning in life. Yeah, isn't it true? Christ provides the meaning in life that not even death camps can take away. Bring us to the death camps. But we belong to Christ in life and in death. Such is the strength, such is the security, such is the solidity of the church, the body of Christ built upon Christ and built upon His Word. You know, our prayer, and we see it happening, may it continue to be that... um, we as a body of Christ may be a shopping window of God. You know what a shopping window of God is? People look in say, "We have something we don't have, I don't have. May it continue to be a shopping window of God. May others see our good works within the body so that they too may glorify your Father in heaven. Amen.